Yay, my biocharismites. Welcome to the Biocharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Athen Chimenti of the MasteringTheZodiac.com website. Athen has been a personal hero of mine because he has combined astronomy with the archetypes of astrology. So notice that I'm not saying that he's an astrologer because I think the word astrologer is a very loaded word and it is attached to not what's really in the sky. Uh, I've been studying real sky, quote unquote, astrology. I'll actually call it astronomy since 2009. And I noticed very early on, my mentor, John Lamb Lash, pointed out that Computer-generated images and computer-generated astrology lacks the soul of what it was in, intended with. You have to understand that there was a connection in the old world between what, what was considered the whole man. The, the alchemist was very much the, the whole man. And... What that means is, is that there was a capacity to read the environment effectively and appropriately. And the stars, what, what they used to call luminaries and what I call the luminaries, were essentially the metaphysical boundary of self. They weren't this atomistic Newtonian BS projection. Um, that we're given, <laughs> that, that we've been programmed to believe through Star Wars and Star Trek and all the rest of it. The way the old world saw the world was actually much more accurate. Even the popular uh, religions and the majority of the cosmologies essentially said the luminaries were local. And I find that to be true. I believe that the luminaries that we experience are essentially just the metaphysical boundary. It's essentially the end of the physical realm and then the entrance into the spirit realm. Some people want to call that the firmament. Um, some people, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. And so there's a corollary between these luminaries and our being. It's not saying it's not saying that, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's nothing uh, that was foisted upon us. It's not as simple just as the sun horoscope. <laughs> there, there needs to be an investment in observation to fully get the full Monty of what these luminaries are actually doing, or a better way of saying it, what these luminaries are reflecting so Athen, about four years ago, uh, came into my consciousness through the Crow 777 radio podcast, and he blew my doors because he was the only person that was actually uh, doing what was known as true sidereal astrology. True sidereal astrology is very different than just what's known as sidereal astrology now, which is kind of a bummer because in the past, sidereal meant real sky. So just like most things in the world, convenience has kind of cheapened and lessened the effectiveness of what's been given to us. So it's very convenient now. You can go on to a hundred different websites that will give you, you know, free algorithmic uh, archetypal readings of this, that, and the other, but the majority of them are basing it on the, the incorrect angles in the sky. Uh, Athens' work is based on the constellations that are actually there. They can be verified through secondary uh, programs um, and also walking outside with the planisphere. So, I always tell people when you're going to get into um, being aware of the luminaries, you know, check your ego because the majority of people, this is becomes like a self-referential system where you get to kind of stroke yourself on the image that you've created for yourself. The, 
humble yourself before the Lord <laughs> or before the Lord's handiwork and really be aware that the luminaries are just the picket fence of your house. And the, the fence of somebody's yard has a lot to do with the, the castle in the middle of it, right? So kind of look of it, look at it that way and use it as Athens says in the podcast as confirmatory. It's not something that's going to predict and that you should like, oh, okay, this, this, and that. But it's just like when you start to see the leaves fall in the fall, you know, winter's coming, you know, the temperatures are dropping. Use it in that way to give yourself a little heads up of the bigger tides that are coming in. It's, uh, it's one of these wonderful tools that we've been given by the creator to, to help us navigate the world. And uh, I love it. So enjoy the podcast with Athen and I'll see you on the flip side. Athen, I was just singing your praises to you. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, the, the BioCharisma podcast. Uh, everyone, this is Athen Chimenti. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep, that's correct. That's how okay. I say it. Uh, technically, it's Chimenti because it's Italian, but I was raised with a Spanish family, so they say Chimenti. So you said Chimenti. it Chimenti. Yeah. That's yep. brilliant because I've just had Dylan Sicoccio on twice and it's I'm I'm just being bombarded with all this Italian Renaissance mind power. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> it's okay. wonderful. So I came across your work because I've had a real problem with astrology ever since I took a celestics course in 2010. And just you were the only person out there that was in the, uh, I guess you could say the alternative mainstream astrology world that was using the constellations, real size, the real proportions. And to me, like, if you're going to be talking about, you know, angles and geometries and trines and oppositions, and you have these terrible geometries, like you're not actually using what's in the sky. I was extremely frustrated with that <laughs> because I don't, um, I don't know if you've been to my website, but I'm a builder. I, I build domes. I build all these really crazy structures. So geometry is very important to me. And the thing is, is for as beautiful as the tropical archetypes are, if the geometry is wrong in the actual reading, then it's wrong. <laughs> it's, it's not accurate. So um, yeah, please, please tell us the genesis, Athen, of how you got to using the real, the real constellation proportions, the real sky as, as the backbone of your readings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on, Chris. It's great to, great to be on. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So basically I was doing tropical just like most of, most of us and sounds like what you were using, you know, just using the, uh, you know, in that case for me, the mainstream version. Um, and I always knew about sidereal, but um, it just never really hit me until one day there was like a full moon outside. And this was about 10 years ago. So there were like these new apps where you could hold your phone up for the first time and actually see where everything was. And yes. And so, you know, the full moon was supposed to be, and I think Gemini and, you know, so I'm like, all right, you know, we're outside, we're checking it out. And I look and uh, there it is like right smack in the middle of Taurus. Right. Like, you know, so, so I knew about it and, and all that, but it didn't really hit me until I experienced it until, you know, I went outside and actually visibly looked and then, yeah. And then everything just started to, you know, kind of, uh, fall apart in terms of like what I was thinking before about astrology, but that led me down, of course, the rabbit hole, uh, of figuring out, you know, when it was the same, which what we can get into, you know, so about like 2000 years ago, it was the same, but because of procession, it's changed and, in, in, you know, since then and, and all these things, but yeah, after like a couple of weeks of research, it was just obvious to me that 
uh, we should be using the visible sky. And so immediately after that, I switched over to that with my work. I did start um, with just the even 30 degrees mm-hmm. sidereal, which is like the most mainstream form of sidereal mm-hmm. uh, at first. Um, but then as I thankfully found the developer of Prometheus, which is the software I use, uh, developed by Gavin Burns, um, he incorporated that into his system to be able to do custom boundaries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so once that was there, then it was just easy because it was a matter of what well, wasn't easy, but it was an easy decision to go full on into true sidereal. Um, so then at that point, I went and used um, what are known as the IAU boundaries, which are the also uneven and somewhat representing the visual sky, mm-hmm. uh, which is an astronomical union, international astronomical union, um, which made these boundaries. But if you do look up at the sky or use a planetarium software, you'll see that the way they've uh, shaped the boundaries, you know, determined what's what, it's not referencing the ecliptic. So the ecliptic is what we want to be referencing because that's the path of the planets with astrology, you know, your sun sign, Mm -hmm. your moon sign, things like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was off. And so then I had to, you know, create a new system. And so I created uh, just what I thought and still think is just a, very basic but very powerful way of doing it, which is just taking the midpoint between the last star of one constellation and the first star of the next, and then considering the boundary, just the halfway point between those. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the the constellations will overlap, so you just take the midpoint between that, and most of the time there's a gap between constellations, so you take the midpoint between that. So Mm -hmm. it's supposed to basically take the visual sky and represent it into astrological chart form. So so yeah, so then once that happened, then you know, I started using the word sidereal, but that was already convoluted because sidereal is supposed to be used in the sky. Yes. Um, but they don't, because uh, the even 30 degrees. So I was like, you know, you know, using astronomical terms like where they'll say, like, you know, true nodes, um, true placements, meaning that they're using more of a visual or, or rep, you know, scientifically representative. Um, form of it, uh, I just decided to start using true sidereal so that I'm not going to change the the term to astronomical. That was one idea was to change it to astronomical, but that's kind of a kind of a misnomer because, um, well, sidereal is supposed to be the actual sky. So I was like, all right, call it true sidereal, start using the actual constellations. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since and uh, found a lot of accuracy in my work and Obviously, a lot of people uh, gravitating towards the system for obvious reasons, you know. And I know that you've had to wade through a ton of resistance because hell hath no fury like an astrologer scorned. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the black sheep in the yeah, astrological it, community. And people, people get really attached to with what they're told first, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I and you especially you, because you have a whole website devoted to it and a whole career devoted to it. I could only imagine you, you know, bursting through people's preconceived notion of self. You know, people that are into astrology really like to talk about themselves (laughs) and they really like to analyze this self-analyzation. And if they're told they're a Leo their entire life and then they have the pride of the lion, they don't, the auto generation of that pride is egoic, but then they see, oh my God, I was actually in Virgo. I'm, I'm a Virgo sun sign. And I've seen person after person after person fall like dominoes when you tell them they're a different sun sign. Do, do you want to hear how I came, how I, I'd seen your work for about a year, but what solidified it for me is very yes, similar to your experience looking at the moon through the, through the app on the night of my daughter's birth or in the morning of my, my daughter's birth we had a home birth and my wife kicked me out. So I was outside four o'clock in the morning and it was a harvest moon. And so uh, I guess that's a waning, I guess you would call that a waning moon. And the, there was Neptune on the left side of the moon. And then there was Mars on the right side of the moon. So the dark side was had Mars and it had Neptune. And my wife is a triple Pisces. 
And the whole that 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 uh, stellium was inside Pisces. Pisces was the backdrop. And that gave me such, such joy because it was a harvest moon. My, my baby's coming. My wife is a triple Pisces, Pisces North Node, Pisces Sun, like Pisces first house. And Neptune used to be the ruler of Pisces. I still think Neptune is like energetically when I feel Pisces and I feel Neptune, they're so intertwined. <laughs> so I saw this beautiful sign in the heavens, the metaphysical fingerprint of God, essentially saying, hey, the child is coming because I, I see Mars as the prince princess energy. It's the, it's the will it's, it's coming through, you know, and there it is with the harvest moon in, in just the glory of Pisces. We had a beautiful birth. Everything was perfect. So I go ahead and look it up just on Astro Astrodienst a few days later. And it told me it was in Aquarius. It told me that that's well, still. It would have said it was Aries, I think. No, it, was, it, it would have been. No, it was Aries. Exactly. It, it was. It was. It was just one off. But that makes all the difference in the world. That makes yeah. all the difference in the world. So any doubt that I had that I was kind of like riding the fence posts, because like a lot of times when you're looking up at the sky just with your eyes, like your eyes can play tricks on you. You know, but when it's when it's that like pronounced and i had a i had a witness with me our doctor our doctor arcia who did a home call he would we were both looking up at the sky and i was trying to tell him in my broken spanish like this is what's going on and he loved it like he thought it was so cool and then you go on the computer and the computer says no this is this was in in this different constellation and i was just like i at that moment i was like you know what I'm not, I, I can't in good conscience tell people to just go with, with what's convenient because all these free sites there, every, the convenience of the wrong thing, I think is, it's like the convenience of fast food. <laughs> yeah. It, it can, it can quote unquote feed you, but it's not really giving you the, 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 the juice. It's not giving you the prana that it could give you. And I always wanted to uh, modify JP Morgan's saying, <laughs> you know, it's not millionaires that look at astrology, it's billionaires. I would say it's not, it's millionaires that look at, at tropical astrology, but, you know, billionaires look at true sidereal astrology because it's what's real. It's like what's actually in the sky. What brought you into astrology to begin with? Oh, um, well, getting into personal development. Uh, mostly. So I was very scientific. Like you had, like, if I was going to believe something, I'd have to, you know, actually be able to verify it scientifically, um, which is just another way of saying like through research papers and stuff. But I wasn't like big into like research papers, but just a very objective mind. So I'd never got into astrology until I started to get into meditation and spirituality in general. Um, so I was very left brain uh, for my early life, but always interested in patterns. And I think that's why I still like astrology, because I find it to be a good balance between uh, the left and right, because it is very mathematical, very scientific once you actually do explore it. Um, and uh, and obviously very pattern based, as we were talking about. So that really speaks to the left brain. But um, but yeah, once I started to develop, I guess, more of the right brain stuff, you know, spirituality and stuff like this. Um, it just all started to make sense. Um, got into meditation with Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. um, living more presently, starting to become aware that there's obviously so much more than just the basic five senses. And, um, and it was just natural, I think, for me to, to move into astrology, which you could say is like the very, um, scientific or left brain form of spirituality. I suppose, um, where you can go out and literally see it like, you know, other forms of spirituality, like maybe tarot or numerology, obviously have their own systems and they can be used, but um, you can't really go outside, for example, and actually, you know, verify this stuff using, uh, using those, not, not discrediting those mediums in any way, but just that astrology does um, 
lend towards a more kind of, I suppose, scientific, um, in the way we think of science today anyways, or left brain sort of approach to things. So I think that's why I gravitated towards it. But yeah, I was totally, you know, anti anything that wasn't already like proven through modern science, basically, until I, you know, opened my perspective a little bit uh, through basically presence, meditation, um, realizing that there's so much more than, you know, uh, just what the five senses are telling us, you know, in terms of synchronicities and, um, you know, possibilities of influences that aren't just falling within the Newtonian physics of things, right? You know, things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not such a materialist yeah. way. It's a, like the way I I had to reckon with astrology because I was brought up as a materialist, you know, growing up with Star Wars and Star Trek and all the, the pseudoscience that said, okay, all these luminaries are actual billiard balls that are out there. And I had to reckon with how could something so far away, because I was coming from a materialist paradigm, how could something so far away actually be influential? Because my mother did a birth chart for me, dude, in 1976. And the astrologer told her, play it for your son at his 20th birthday. So she played it for me on my 20th birthday. She had to crack out like this old A-track. <laughs> Wow. A track player and That's it cool. freaked me out because he hmm. knew more about me than any of the people in my life because my persona was so strong and in my projection and people only saw my persona but this dude was like naming the type of women I was in relationship with he was just like going dink 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 and it like it, it completely humbled me it was one of the most humbling things in the world because there, it, there was no intellectual way to be able to justify how accurate it was, especially with the materialist paradigm. So instantly from age 20 on, I was trying to actually fix this problem in my mind because I'm like something that's like a hundred light years away. That's not what's actually influencing me. Like influence, like what does influence even mean? Right. So then this really brought me in. Like I went into Eastern thought and got into understanding more of the metaphysics of my surroundings and how metaphysics sponsors the quote unquote physical. <laughs> so, and I guess the luminaries are sort of like the boundary layer between, you know, what we would call the physical world and the metaphysical world. It's just like the way I see it, that's just like our perimeter fence to self. And we kind of see the perimeter fence to self. And that kind of lets you know what the, what the castle is like, <laughs> what, whatever the surroundings are like kind of infers to, to the center. What, if, if you don't mind sharing, what has been your, what is your metaphysical cosmology? Like how, how do you see things? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's very similar uh, to what you said there. So, um, well, I see it as the whole universe is going through cycles. Um, you know, the most apparent for us is obviously seasonal cycles, but that can be described by Newtonian physics. Um but just that, you know, there's cycles within cycles and, you know, even in the galactic sense, um, you know, there's, there's cycles with the sun around the center of the Milky Way, apparently, and stuff like this. So um, I think that all we're seeing with astrology is we are, we've just, we've always used astrology just as a, as a timekeeper, just as a, as a watch. And it's the only real like atomic watch mm -hmm. in the sense that it's consistent and, um, you know, and so that's what, that's what we've been doing for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, probably, um, it's just telling what time it is. Uh, but what I think our ancestors realized, um, being much more spiritually attuned, of course, is that certain things happen at certain times. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, in the most Newtonian sense, that would be like the seasons, but it's more than that. 
um, there's this, you know, giant cog, if you will, is the way I see it, you know, maybe this, this kind of universe, but the, 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 you know, the, the sort of gears of this cog are necessarily Newtonian, meaning that it's not that this planet's having some direct effect on us. It's just that if we're all in the same cycle, then what's happening to a planet happening to a planet, which is basically just saying, okay, when the planet is in this part of the sky, certain things happen. Mm -hmm. And we notice these patterns. When this planet goes here, certain things happen. And we notice this consistently. And anyone who's into astrology knows this, like with transits or the lunar cycle and stuff, you'll, or the Mercury retrogrades that are so popular, you'll see that certain events do happen when the sky is doing that particular thing. So uh, all that's all I think it is. It's just a timekeeper. It's just astrology is just telling us what time it is, uh, where we're at basically in these cycles. And uh, just over the you know hundreds or ten, tens of thousands of years, we've uh, attributed certain qualities to these parts of the sky. So there's a reason they gave you know Taurus the bull, for example. Um, now that could have been any other creature or symbolism or whatever, but they chose the bull because when things go to that particular part of the sky, bull-like things happen. They chose the bull because that's the symbolism of it. And this is really the point that it's like, this is an abstract language of life. The Zodiac is almost like life divided up into 12 or 13 parts. And when things go in, you know, and so, so to describe this language of life, you can't use, you know, very categorical left brain modes of encapsulating it because how are you going to fit all of life into these concepts? So instead you have to tell story, you have to use allegory, you have to use myth, which is basically what we've seen, you know, through the ancients using astrology. Uh, this more right brain way to try to, you know, not really understand, but try to point to what this these experiences are. So they attribute, you know, Taurus the bull as the bull, because when planets go to that part of the sky, well, things maybe slow down. They become more about self-reliance and taking things slowly and steadily. They get more grounded. They get more stable. All right. And so these are the qualities we associate with Taurus. Not because man created Taurus and just decided that, but rather that we just gave that part of the sky, this sort of symbolism of Taurus to just better describe in a sort of allegory or symbolism um, what happens when we're in that part of the cycle. So that's all I think it is. Um, you know, and so true sidereal is, is I think, the most ancient, getting back to the roots of how the constellations were originally attributed, which stars they were attributed to, um, you know, through that ancient practice of just seeing how things are happening at certain times. And then, and it's when these, uh, you know, planetary bodies go in front of these particular parts of the sky. Um, so no Newton, I don't believe like maybe if there's a Newtonian thing that we don't know about, it's probably more metaphysics, maybe quantum physics. I mean, Quantum physics totally defies Newtonian physics. I mean, you have, you know, like atoms, you can, you can tangled atoms that shake on mm -hmm. one side of the world, shaking exactly at the same time on the other and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, so really it's just, um, you know, not cause and effect. I don't believe, I don't believe that Jupiter is having some gravitational or electromagnetic influence on us as much as it's just, there's Jupiter and, um, you know, he represents a certain aspect of life. And when he goes in front of a certain part of the sky, we know certain things happen. And so he's just telling us what time it is from, from that perspective, from that Jupiterian perspective. Um, so that's all we're doing with astrology, I believe, is just uh, much like what you're saying, and it's sort, of, sort of, you know, as within, so without. But in mm -hmm. this case, we're using the sort of without to try to figure out what's going on within. And so... We can see externally where we're at in the cycle. And that just means that, of course, internally, we're experiencing that same cycle as well. So we can just read the outer to understand more about the inner. Yeah, it, it totally, to me, is the law of correspondence. It, it, it just, there, what we see and experience out there is a direct reflection of what is internal. And it, I mean, there's other than astrology. I mean, there's just so many other ways of looking that like if somebody just wanted to see like how messy is their, is their room, <laughs> like, 
like looking at their desktop, how cluttered is their desktop? Like you can see you have these much closer representations of what's happening internally for you. Just out there, what we consider outside the boundary layer of our, of our skin, you know, and we can see this in relationships. We can see this in our politics and the different thought and belief systems that we want to have. Um, the beauty that I've seen with astrology is that there are these outliers. So I read it. I read this book from, well, it wasn't Malcolm Gladwell. It was actually the gentleman that wrote anti-fragile. Did you ever read the book anti-fragile? I haven't, but I generally know what it's about. Okay. Yeah. He, he wrote a book before that called black swan. And it was an incredible book because what it describes is that our life isn't shaped by all the consistency that we think it is. Our life is actually shaped by outlier events. So it was March of 2020. And I remember you on Crow and you were like, hey, guess what? <laughs> such and such is is more than likely going to occur and i forget exactly what the aspects were that you were that you were tuning into but like i mean you called it like within a day or so of this massive shift and timing is everything like whether you're an engineer whether you're dealing with logistics whether you're dealing with a childbirth timing is everything like if you don't have the timing, that's pretty much because you're not aware of the set and setting that you're in. And that's something that I really appreciated with, with um, the different Gnostic teachings I came across as they were always harping on. Know the set and setting. You, you have to know the set and setting. And so to know the set and setting, you have to have the, the correct timing. And I think one of the best ways that we are manipulated is we're manipulated with a bad calendar. <laughs> we're literally, we're in a calendar that the start of the year is in the middle of the winter. Like that makes no sense. It, it, it doesn't make any sense, at least to me. I'll just put that caveat out there. How have you seen because you've made some excellent calls. Like let's let's refer back to that call in March of 2020. What were you seeing relative to the to what was about to hit us with the uh, the corona? So that was predicting the vaccine rollout. Is that is that what you're referencing? Yeah, was it corona, I forget so? exactly because it's been a while since I watched it. I just remember after it happened, I was like, "Oh, Athen called that. Like he called that." You're essentially, it, it wasn't so much about the vaccination. It was more about the lockdown. It was more about, oh, okay. it was more about isolation. Like there. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the, uh, the, cause that was a big early 2020 was a big time astrologically. Um, so we had Saturn conjunct Pluto, mm -hmm. um, which is always very, very transformative, but then it was also coinciding uh, with, with a Jupiter conjunction as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was definitely big, significant things. Uh, yeah, I wasn't able to predict that it was going to be medical. Um, that one I missed in retrospect, I can see what I missed. Um, but yeah, for sure, <laughs> big changes, um, transformations to the structures and systems, which lockdowns, uh, may have been part of that, uh, prediction there. Um, and then a similar event to, 9-11 because 9-11 was the time that Saturn and Jupiter conjoined. And so that's that's its own cycle where the government seemed to like to use these new beginnings for new propaganda and new, you know, really big paradigm shifting times like, you know, war on terror and all the COVID thing and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I saw that kind of consistently, uh, consistency there. So, so yeah, so I think it was that it was that three-way conjunction, which is quite significant. Those are quite significant in and of themselves. Um, like the Saturn one is just a little over 30 years every time that happens. And then the Jupiter Saturn is like every 18 years, roughly. Um, so they're quite significant when they happen. Um, but, um, but all, both of them happening at the same time, 
uh, really spoke to that. And the real tinge on that one was uh, the restructuring with the Saturn and um, that Jupiter Saturn new paradigm uh, thing that I was reading probably more from the from what what I believe like the those that um, like to pull the strings in politics and and the media and stuff like to use uh, seeing that parallel happen there with that one too, mm -hmm. but yeah so so these things you can kind of you know gauge but um, is you know it's quite quite general usually we do our best to get more specific with it and that's the sort of field of astrology but yeah the important thing is is you can understand what it's supposed to be about like like restructuring like it's a time to restructure our lives in general and mm -hmm. obviously the governments or whatever are going to restructure their try to restructure society at those times um so the important thing is is that you you know uh, use the time for what it's conducive for and i think that's what you're saying with you know set and setting and um you know you can make predictions as well in terms of what might happen but i think the best thing is to be in alignment to it so it's like the seasons right. um, in the sense that it's, you know, you don't want to start planting your seeds in, in fall. Uh, mm -hmm. So you want to be doing certain things at certain times. And I think the astrology really helps with being able to, to see that. And then, of course, as a result, you can make predictions similar to the weather. Like we don't know exactly what's going to happen to the weather, but we can make probabilistic, um, you know, sort of uh, uh you know, just probabilities uh, based on that. So, so that's the sort of predictive side to it, but really living in accordance with the nature, I think is the most important. Brilliant. I've uh, enabled share screen with you. I would like to show people how your charts differ from the majority. And I just want to put this out there. I've, I've been uh, sending everybody to your website to pull their charts. Um, that's usually between five and 10 people a month. Uh, what makes the true sidereal astrology so specific isn't just the constellation size. It's also you including the constellation of Oph Ophiuchus, which to me, when you look into the, the symbology and the archetype of Ophiuchus, it's quite apparent to me why it would be omitted. <laughs> so I would like if, if you could like just show a, one of your charts or like maybe a, a daily chart and we can just kind of sh show the difference of what, what makes yours unique. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just have my astrology software. So this is like earlier today uh, when I started the software. Um, but yeah, this would be the sky for today. Um, so yeah, so the uniqueness, like you said, so obviously the uneven constellations here. Um, I also use the equal houses, uh, which doesn't skew the sky. So in mainstream astrology, they like to set the houses around the four angles, northeast, south, and west. But the thing is, is that true south, for those of us in the northern hemisphere, true north and the southern, uh, this little this point here, the midheaven, represents that, in this case, uh, true south. But that moves. Uh, that doesn't, you know, true, true south doesn't say stay consistent in like one part of the sky. So modern charts, uh, what are normally quadrant, so they're called you know, quadrant charts, but Placidus, is the most common in uh, Western astrology will skew the sky. So they'll move. So, so those familiar, you know, they know, you'll, you'll know that you've seen like uh, in this circumstance, since the midheavens here, they'll, they'll put the top here. So the midheaven, so the top becomes here and they, they, they stretch and skew all these houses to be larger. And then they'll shrink this, these to make them smaller. So I use equal because that's how you would go outside and you'd literally see it. Like right now, if we were to go, I use the planetarium uh, software uh, in the program so you can see it. But, uh, you know, so here in the chart, Jupiter's at the very top of the ecliptic. This is the path, you know, the planets. And mm -hmm. so if we go to the planetarium, you know, and you go and you look, you know, that's how it looks. You got Jupiter is the highest planet in the sky. Um so no skewing, it's just literally the visual representation as you would see it. These are the midpoints, uh, as I was saying, you know, so we take the midpoint between 
the first star of Aries here, mm -hmm. and then the last star of Pisces, depending on how far you want to go from the ecliptic. So here, and it's hard, not hard to see because they're like the same color, but um, that's the boundaries, the halfway point between them. Uh, maybe Taurus will be more clear. So you take the last star, star of Taurus, the first star of Gemini, you draw the midpoint there. So you know, you think I, of, I was born in that transition zone. I'm 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 a cusper and the Pisces oh, okay. Aquarius <laughs> oh, boundary. Okay. The big boundary right between those two. Yeah. So this would be your cusp there. Yeah. Yeah. So so obviously you want to give some variance of like three degrees, but yeah, because you can see like, you know, that's about one and a half, or that's about it's large three degrees there. Yeah. Of a gap, right? So, so anything that's like in between here, you want to consider a blend, anyways. But yeah, it does a really good job of getting you know very very close to the visual sky here. That's uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, a fucus, uh, as you said, was removed um, from mainstream astrology, even though it was used throughout the Greek and Roman times. Uh, you know, very very far into Western um, astrology practice. Um, but it was, uh, it was removed and, and I get it because it shares the same part of the sky as Scorpio. You can see this here is Scorpio and this up here is a fucus. I'll kind of zoom in a little bit more, but that's Scorpio. That's a fucus. Um, and so they do share the same part of the sky and that's why I use eight house, uh, 12 houses instead of 13, um, because this is the eighth part of the sky. So that does have the same energy, right? You can see there's no other constellations that overlap like this, um, sharing the same part of the sky. So I can see why they removed it. Um, but uh, it is a constellation. It does have its own stars. And it does, by definition, pass through the ecliptic, which is by definition a zodiac sign. Um, so of course, if we're going to call something a zodiac, then a fucus would need to be included. So so it's you can think of it as the higher expression of Scorpio. Um, so Scorpio is about uncovering the deeper world. Mm -hmm. And that's this first half of Scorpio. I mean, this is what Scorpio is. It's this first half of this eighth part of the sky, mm -hmm. um, which is unearthing and bringing things to the surface. So it rolls excavation, truth, also in relationships like deeper connections, trust and intimacy, just bringing that deep stuff up. But what a fucus does is works with it. So whereas Scorpio unveils it, uh, a fucus works with it. And so a fucus, the symbolism that they've given uh, is the serpent bearer. So right. the person holding a serpent. The wisdom and, bearer. Right, exactly. And so the serpent in ancient uh, history has always been associated with wisdom and also of, of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the medical roots comes from the idea that we have to work with the physical, like the real dense and physical parts of the human experience, you know, which you could, you could say, what's the most dense animal on the planet, I would argue is a serpent with its belly on the ground, you know, just being reptilian and all of this. Um, and this is a symbol of not fighting the serpent, which we see a lot in Western, well, post-Roman, so usually Middle Ages and, and onwards, symbolism of like fighting the dragon. And so this would be the symbolism of, you know, basically that primal part of ourselves and, and overcoming that, you know, overcoming mm -hmm. that. But what a fucus is, 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 is again, more ancient wisdom, which suggests that it's actually about befriending or wielding the serpent. We don't want to fight it. We don't want to kill it. It's part of who we are. We need to embrace it. We need to integrate it. And so this goes to the more modern ideas of like Jungian psychology and, and mm -hmm. philosophy of like reintegrating the shadow, reintegrating those parts of ourselves that we've shunned or exiled that we said, this is, you know, the dragon, this is the serpent, this is what I'm afraid of, but also what I find disgusting and repulsive. And it's not a part of me, but it is. And so if you could suggest, okay, while Scorpio brings that stuff to the surface, the scorpion brings mm -hmm. it to the surface. A fucus works with it. Um, and, and notice he's stepping on the scorpion too, but yeah. And wasn't it in ancient times, this, this, let's just call it these two constellations were a lot of the time considered one. And it was like called the Phoenix 
Like it's gone through all these metamorphoses through the ages. At one time it was the eagle. At another time it was it, it it was the phoenix, and now we see it as you know Scorpio and Ophiuchus. Are you aware of of those transitions? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so again, it's just attributing um, a different archetype. Like I said, a Ophiuchus could be the bear, Thanks. or like a cat, or like I don't know a table. But the point is, is that what do we mean when we say it's the serpent bear? Or what do we mean when we say it's the eagle? Mm -hmm. So an eagle is, is a still a great one. Obviously, they chose that um, because that represents transformation, overcoming, flight, mm -hmm. freedom. And, and that's what a fucus is, is after we've embraced and worked with the serpent or, you know, the shadow, we become healed and we right. transform and, you know. So, so really, yeah. So, so these have been changed a lot. I mean, even Libra used to be not too long ago, the, the, the claws of Scorpio would come all the way out here to Libra. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes Virgo is depicted as standing vertically over here. Leo has been very consistent. Cancer used to be a scarab. But as Leo see. would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, cancer, you know, used to be a turtle and a scarab in, in ancient Egypt. So um, but the symbolism is the same. It's the crap. So it's right. the protective and all that. So mm -hmm. that's a good one that you can see how it really is just the, the symbol and you can attribute different archetypes to those, to those meanings. Oh, this is so, so wonderful. And I like to point out to people that your work is more akin to astronomy than than the snake oil salesman type of, you know, let's just call it cheap astrology. And let, I'll be specific about that. You and I are actually looking at what is. Like I have two different programs. I mainly use Stellarium if I am going to use a, a computer-based program. And then I go out to the, and I actually watch the sky. We're just being astronomers. And what in the olden days, you know, your alchemist was a combination between an astronomer, a healer, your priest, like they were, they were like, I guess you would call it the, uh, the Renaissance man or the Renaissance woman. Like you were a fully embodied being, you were whole, you were, you were, you were taking everything into consideration and there wasn't a dogmatism attached to, okay, this scripture says only this. So this is what it is. There was in always this ever, uh, this interaction between you and your surroundings, which made you, made, made you whole. Like you weren't discounting something because somebody said it was evil or it was, you know, it wasn't in the, in the particular political parlance of the day. And so to me, that is what being truly scientific is because the root of philosophy and science is the love of truth, the pursuit of truth. And the older I get, the more I understand, like you have to kind of take in a ton of factors to even get close to what the truth could be. <laughs> Taking yeah. somebody's word for it, I mean, we've seen just in our recent history how quickly, you know, re how quickly history is written by the winners, and it does not resemble the truth at all. <laughs> so this yeah. is the beauty of being an astronomer slash ast astrologer slash, you know, celestics, like somebody that actually is interactive with their environment is like you and it are in communion at that time there is no middleman and so therefore there is no secondary idol and that's what i really appreciate about this science is like it's observable it's it's you're not going on somebody else's words or their say so and you're not just going on a, a, a freaking computer screen <laughs> Like there's so many people I know that their only interaction with astrology, quote unquote astrology is, you know, one, their sun sign horoscope and two, it's all on a computer. 
Like they're not actually interacting with how it feels to be in the presence of Venus at sunset or at sunrise or, or, or just the grandeur of, of, of seeing the big ladle in the sky turn, like all these different things. They have a, a, an emotional evocation that, that can occur if you let it. And yeah, so I'm so, so happy with the work that you've been doing. You cleared up a massive um, problem <laughs> for me that I've been trying to solve in the last interview that you did with Crow. And you were talking about the 11th house transit. And I'm right now, of course, I'm blanking on exactly what it is. I've been like, I, I, I know because I look at your work and, you know, just look at the sky that we're not entering the age of Aquarius. If you're to consider, you know, the sun, you know, at the equinox, the spring equinox, its location, it's going to be hundreds of years before we enter the age of Aquarius, if that's the delineation. But I've been feeling these massive changes and tides shifting like the like in a way things are so much more mutable and so much more airy than they were like the concretized aspect of my of my youth could you talk about this this massive transit that's happening with as as the world shifts into the 11th house i'm, I'm sorry i'm not I'm not remembering exactly what that that transition is, but it, it when you said it, it like it put me at ease. I was like, "Oh, Athens solved it. I'm 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 good. I don't have to think about this anymore." Yeah, just the age, right? So just just how we calculate the ages. Um, so it's the what we've all heard, age of Aquarius. Um, but yeah, the 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 way that the age is is determined is by either where the sun is exactly during the spring equinox um, or what's rising before the sun. So on the spring equinox, basically the constellation that comes before the sun. Uh, the second one is a bit arbitrary. Like, I mean, it's just, it's kind of open to, to subjective interpretation because it's like, okay, well, how far before the sun? And then at what point do we actually enter and all this? I like to go with exactly where the sun is during the spring equinox. And so that's actually right around where Neptune is actually at the moment. Um, so Neptune will be conjunct the sun, depending on his retrograde. He's going to be bouncing around here a lot, but around this point of Pisces uh, during the next uh, spring equinox. Um, so it's about here. So you can see there's still a ways to go. Um, and just so everyone um, knows what I mean by this age, it's basically that the sun does not return to the same point in the sky every year. Okay, so again, mainstream astrology, we would think that because, you know, mainstream locks it into this uh, tropical is the sun does return to the same spot every year, but visually in the actual sky, it does not. Um, and now the change is very subtle. Um, so it only changes one degree. So there's 360 degrees in the chart or in the sky. And so it only changes one degree every 72 years, 72 years. So that means that a little over about 2,200 years ago, um, the sun was here during the spring equinox. Mm -hmm. And here is the beginning of the zodiac. So this is the midpoint, uh, you know, again, using the midpoint system, uh, the midpoint between Pisces and Aries. Okay, so that starts the age of Pisces. So what did we see at that time? Well, Christianity, um, then, you know, the Middle Ages, and just a very Piscean shift, uh, much more on religion, uh, and even in the East, much more with Buddhism and stuff like this. Um, so that was the age of Pisces. It was coming out of the age of Aries, the ram. Those that are into history may remember the ram was such a symbol during the entirety of the Roman Empire, and that is when Rome was conquering and Rome was was uh, a civilization was during the age of Aries. Before that, it was the age of Taurus, which is the bull symbolism you'll see marked. At It's crazy. At those times mm -hmm. uh, prior. Baal. Uh, 
and then prior to that was Gemini and Cancer. And so we're we're basically going through the ages, and um, so you know, Christ, you know, the, the birth of of the Middle Ages and coming out of Christianity was was going from Aries into Pisces, and technically we've been in Pisces ever since. However, um, like I was alluding to earlier, there's also houses in uh, astrology. And so houses, as I said, I like to use an even 30 degrees for, because otherwise you're changing the sky. So if you do take 30 degrees from this, uh, again, starting of the Zodiac, so when we started the age of Pisces, basically about 2,200 years ago, okay, so, so that's that starting point. Um, and you take exactly 30 degrees from there, that would have been when we entered the 11th house. Now, the 11th house is Aquarius's house. So it does rule Aquarius things mm. like technology and innovation and electricity. And guess what? If you do the math, you'll see that that's exactly when we invented electricity. Exactly when we started the Industrial Revolution was if you use this midpoint method, the midpoint exactly 30 degrees from there, you draw the 11th house cusp. It's a little bit to the left of this blue line here. And when the sun got there in the spring equinox, which is basically uh, very late 1800s, early 1900s, you've got the transition of the Industrial Revolution. Okay, um, And so we've been there ever since. And that's why we've seen a lot of the technological innovations and the ones we'll continue to see. How, however, it's important to note that uh, we are definitely in the Piscean era. And so it is about cultivating more of the still spiritual qualities while we evolve into the you know technological and visionary side of things it's important to be cultivating the qualities of pisces so notice the language i'm using houses are better for doing certain things they're the nouns of life so technology is a thing to develop it's what we can do but um but the signs are the qualities so with pisces we want to develop things like receptivity and compassion and understanding these qualities of things. So it's definitely a mix of both, um, but it's definitely worth noting both the houses and the signs in this case, you know. And that's such a beautiful way that nature would work because think about it. Pisces being ruled by water is just this, you know, emotional, super receptive, quality right and yeah. that gives you the transition into the thinker you know aquarius is like innovation novelty technology electricity so what a beautiful boundary zone because so you're saying these blue lines are the houses but yet yeah. the the demarcation of the 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 thicker color band is what's is the actual sign so yeah. that's exactly the way nature works nature doesn't do these like crazy abrupt transits what it does is it it eases you into it like you know i i come from the paradigm that there that god it only gives you what you can handle and so you know and nature just being an extension of god is just it's the same way. It gives you signs. Like if there's a storm coming, it gives you signs. It's not like the storm is just on you. It's up to you to be aware of this beautiful transition that's occurring so that when the full Monty comes, you're, you're ready. You're awake for it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. And we can see that transition repeated. Um, so for example, you know, it was like, we didn't just go full on into like Christianity, for example, in the West. It was a transition, you know, so the Roman Empire was doing its thing, but the Roman Empire started falling apart. Why? Well, because we were transitioning into Pisces and it was no longer time for the Roman Empire type stuff like the war and all the Aries stuff, you know, strong indiv independence, asserting, fighting, you know, so getting getting what we want. So like this is all Aries. Um so it wasn't overnight, but it was, you know, hundreds of years, a transition mm -hmm. between that Aries into the, into the Pisces uh, time period. Yeah. And it's definitely the same way. And also in the same way that we've been 
transitioning from early technology just over the past little over 100 years and um, ramping up. But it, but it's telling us, you know, like, for example, where, where, where might the peak of our technological advancement be for at least this 20, this 26,000 year cycle, by the way. So for this 26,000 years or for humanity as a whole, whatever, you know, should be probably about the time we get to about the middle of that. Mm-hmm. So in about a thousand years. Mm-hmm. For example, so so it does tell us a lot, but um, but yeah, it really is subtle. It's a it's a transition, like nature, like the seasons, like any other cycle. But um, knowing roughly where we are in the cycle is yeah, tremendously important. And not too many people talking about the fact that the sun is still in Pisces during the uh, spring equinox. So we could say, from a permaculture perspective, we're in the ecotone. <laughs> between Pisces and Aquarius. And I, that just, I, I can't even tell you how happy I am that I can put down the speculation that the fact that we are in the 11th house and that is ruled by Aquarius, because there's so many Aquarian overtones, I should say undertones that I'm aware of, but yet it's not Aquarius. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, this is just a beautiful way of of showing the boundary layer, the ecotone between Pisces and Aquarius. That's just excellent work, Athen. I really appreciate it. I know you said you had an hour with us. We're we're coming up on mm-hmm. the end of that hour right now. Um, is there anything that else that you would like to share with the audience? Is uh, could you please tell everybody where they could come and find your work and hire you and all the rest of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so masteringthezodiac.com, that's the website. Uh, so there, there's all the resources. So the charts um, that you've sent people to there. So you can type in your birth details. You'll see the sky exactly um, when you were born in astrological chart form. Uh, weekly videos, uh, special reports and updates on specific events. We got a lot of transitions coming in 2024. There's a couple articles on the website for that. Um, and for those that want to learn astrology, there's courses. And for those that want personal readings, uh, there's those as well. So it's on the on the website. I'll send a uh, discount link uh, for your audience. I'll send I'll send to you, Christopher, um, for readings and courses uh, for you guys. But uh, but yeah, check it out. I would just start with typing in your birth details and just take a look at the sky, what it looks like. And there's also reports too. I'm actually uh, proud to announce that I just finished a reporting system. So. Um, you don't have to interpret it on your own. You can get the report and it's going to describe all of your signs and everything. I'll send yours to you, Christopher. So you oh, that's great. Out. Yeah. I yeah. don't need, uh, have I given you my birth information? Have I don't I think told- so. Oh, I can't wait to see your interpretation. Uh, cause I always love getting other people's perspectives. Cause this is another thing with this people. Life is very subjective. And always remember that your projection, what you are giving to the situation determines the outcome of the situation. You can receive data, you can receive wisdom from other, but how you interpret it and how you transmute that within your alchemical vessel will have everything to do with how life actually happens for you. So Always take everything with a grain of salt. Never take somebody, never make an idol out of somebody that you feel has more information or is more what you would perceive as more intelligent than you are. No one is an idol. This is just for you to get the interpretive juices running so that you can write your own script. Yeah. Confirmation. That's what I like to use astrology for, just to confirm what you already know deep down. Yes. Um, it's helpful because it sifts away a lot of noise, internal and external noise. But um, but we know all this stuff already. And astrology is just a tool for that confirmation. Yeah. This has been awesome, Ath. And thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And I hope to have you on in the future. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, Chris. All right. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Athens. We only had an hour. I I literally have enough questions to ask him for five, six hours if he if he had the opportunity. So I just wanted to hit the bullet points. Uh, please check out his site, uh, the Mastering the Zodiac site. It's masteringthezodiac.com. 
Um, he'll give you a chart for free. The way what I'm offering now um, is I use the charts from his site, but I back calculate uh, somebody's conception date. This is known as celestic profiling. It's to confirm your deeper self. The only point of doing this is to know thyself. I talk about cosmology. As you guys can see, there's a theme with all the podcasts that I'm doing. It's like you have to have a certain level of your hardware functioning for your mind to really catch the patterns. But all these patterns are actually teaching, teaching you about you, having you come into full acceptance of you. Um, and when you come into full acceptance of you, there's this extra energy, there's this love that will happen at that point that changes the world for the better. And I, I hate to even use the word change. Let's just say it induces a flow of quality. <laughs> so check out Athens' work. Um, you can contact me through you know, all the different uh, contacts, whether it's the... Actually, you shouldn't use the Topher, uh, the G, the whatever the email is on my website, because for whatever reason, I can't access it. I haven't been able to access it. So if you guys have been trying to access me through that, I apologize. I haven't been able to get to that, but you can access me through uh, Telegram. Telegram's great. A lot of people contact me through Instagram also. I'm biocharisma on Instagram. Please support what we're doing. Uh, we had this wonderful meetup with uh, a work day here on, uh, on the Gardenian dome site, <laughs> the dome steading site. Uh, we built a nice big garden wall and it was amazing. We had 16 volunteers and like within three hours, we moved five tons of material, which is, a, which is amazing. And uh, I did crack the whip a little bit because I get into my, my coaching mode when I'm having to uh, move heavy things. But overall, things are moving and shaking. Got the quote on the foundation for the new home. And uh, with my producer being here on site now, we're, we're working on video and media educational modules. All these things take time and money. So whatever you can throw our way to support us in that, uh, I promise you I'm giving you a ton of value. Um, the amalgamation of all the different fields that I've been in are essentially to bring you the highest quality aspects of life. And so hopefully you appreciate that. And with my guests, you can catch the theme, the through line of, of what we're getting to. And eventually this whole thing that's being shared will be uh, essentially made into uh, what I would consider a PhD level curriculum. So thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next week.